Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Open Door Philanthropy Conference Special. We brought our microphones down to the Nexus U.S. Summit this year at the United States Institute of Peace. And in plain view of the Lincoln Memorial, over the course of two days, we conducted 10 interviews with a diverse array of conference delegates. Some of our guests, like Hank Love from the American Jobs Project, were actively fundraising. And I was able to convince Hank to submit a proposal to the unfunded list that's currently under review. Other guests, like Karen Yanis, were active funders. Karen ran Oprah Winfrey's foundation for 10 years. I was able to convince Karen to join the evaluation committee. We had a bunch of other cool folks sit down with us who were a little bit harder to find. On a personal note, this was just an absolute blast for me. Uh, I got the chance to interview some of my favorite people in a beautiful setting. We had amazing conversations. I hope you'll listen and understand that these represent just a microcosm of my own participation in Nexus over the years. I've been attending this conference for almost nine years now. Each conversation you listen to here, whether I've just met our guest or known them for years, is reminiscent of hundreds of conversations I've had in the halls of Nexus over the years. People ask me often how I've built such an impressive network. Uh, And I can tell you that it's because of conversations like these. At the very least, I think you'll find them entertaining. Please note that these were recorded live on site in a less than ideal acoustic circumstance. You can pretty much always hear me because I'm basically Shrek. Uh, But sometimes our guests are a little bit harder to hear. We'll do our best to make transcripts available since every word of these conversations were important and interesting. Uh, But for now, I hope you enjoy. We are recording? Okay. Uh, here we are. This is the final interview of day one at the Nexus U.S. Summit. Uh, I am learning that uh, doing many, many interviews in a row is somewhat tiring. Uh, forgive me if my voice cracks on this one and everything, but I am pretty excited. Uh, my guest here, and I'm going to, I think I will pronounce her name correctly on the first try, Ronit Avni. See? I think I've known you for over 10 years now, so it's a good thing I got that right. <laughs> I would not fault you if you didn't. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, so, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are, you, where are you from? So, I'm born and raised in Montreal, and uh, I've now been living in the U.S. about half my life, which is shocking to me. So, yes, originally from Canada. So, I'm for here. 10 years you've been living here? Oh, more. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes, slow day. Slow, slow, slow evening. Yes, thank you. 10 years, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's terrific. Uh, and uh, do you remember how you and I met? I think it was through the fellowship program that you were doing, the um, putting, putting. I, I believe that it was um, placing Oh, Ashalom Aleikum. Was it? No, no, no. Was it? I, I thought it was the... Um, no, we definitely met before that. Did but we? Okay. I'm so glad, I'm very, I'm very honored that you remember that. <laughs> you, tell, you tell me, where did we meet? Well, you uh, used to run an organization called Just Vision. Yes. Were you the founder? Yes. Uh, but you have sent, you have... Uh, departed? You're yes. on the board? Or? Three years ago, I, I transitioned and handed it off to a wonderful new executive director, yes. Uh, that's, uh, in, in a second, we'll have, I'll ask you what it is. Sure, sure. Uh, but it, uh, you were, I was on the board of uh, the Slingshot Fund and the Slingshot Guide. Right. Uh, and Just Vision was, I was featured in the guide. That's right. Yeah. I can't remember if you ever got funded by us. Uh, I don't think so. I think we might have very early on. Oh, really? We might have, yeah. Oh, yeah, terrific. 
Uh, so that uh, regular listeners to the program will know that the Slingshot Guide is a list of innovative Jewish uh, programs or programs that affect Jewish life right, in North that's America. Right. That's right. We, weren't, we weren't a Jewish organization, but we did, we did affect the community for sure. Well, that was actually, like, we had that conversation, like, so many times there. What's a Jewish organization? I mean, because, I mean, not to get too spiritual about it, but, like, if you love the neighbor, right, you're pretty Jewish, right? So, (laughs) Um, but, like, you know, but I think it just goes to, like, how you identify, right? You were, and I think you're right, you were not a Jewish organization. Uh, So what is it that Just Vision did? Yeah. And does. They still do. Right, yeah, so they're still around. Um, They're an organization that supports Palestinian and Israeli civilians who are working for freedom, human security, equality, and dignity using unarmed means. And so we did it um, through public education campaigns, through film, uh, through media, and we worked in Palestinian society. We worked uh, here in the United States and also uh, with Israeli communities. Uh, Yeah, and the way that we met specifically is uh, that I go to temples sometimes, usually for cultural events, uh, and there was a cultural event at Sixth and I, which is the temple that I usually go to, and they showed uh, either uh, uh, parts or perhaps the full version of Encounter Point. Now your, your memory is much better than mine. People are often surprised when they come out of the podcast because I do I do actually remember basically everything that happens to me. It's kind of a curse. That's amazing. <laughs> but very useful uh, in the fundraising and philanthropy world. That's great. Uh, I can assure you. Uh, but tell us about Encounter Point. That was one of my, I think, I've watched a lot of documentaries. Obviously, I work in the social sector, so I like documentaries. Honestly, and I think... Absolute, and I don't even know if you had a hand in making it or if you just ran the organization or not. So this isn't me just blowing smoke. Uh, you can you can explain your role in a moment. That was one of the better documentaries I've ever seen. It's extremely powerful stuff, very very powerful work on a uh, unfortunately seemingly intractable issue. Um, tell us a little bit about Encounter sure, Point. Sure, yeah, it's over ten years now. Um, it was it came out in two thousand six. I directed it and I was one of the producers. Um, so you had a small role. To do with it, yeah. Um, so it was a film, you know, throughout, I'll take a step back for a second and just say I started my career doing human rights work at the Human Rights Organization Witness. And oh, yes. throughout my career, I've been struck by people who demonstrate incredible courage and resilience and an ethical compass no matter what circumstances they find themselves in. So even in a context of deep asymmetry, which is the context of Israel-Palestine, right, where there's deep inequality um, and an incredibly repressive environment, there were people who nevertheless were um, persevering and trying to change their circumstances and change their communities and move towards a different future. And so the film followed the stories of some of those individuals. Um, We're all human, we're all flawed in different ways, right? Um, But it it was looking at what they went through how they went about um, trying to push their communities despite loss, despite losing family members, or despite being imprisoned, um, and the and the and the difficulties that they faced. Um, mm-hmm. And so we followed protagonists over a couple of years. Um, and yeah, the film came out in 2006, and it and it did a circuit uh, uh, distribution circuit. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you saw it. Uh, in particular, I remember the I don't remember his name, but the uh, you sort of followed um, two folks from both sides of the. Uh, border there. And I remember in particular, I really, really liked that Palestinian dude. He was just such a, uh, and he had gone through hell and back, but was still had a smile on his face and everything. Uh, do you, what is up with that guy? You know, he's still, his name's Ali, um, and he is still um, trying to organize on the ground 
in Palestine, and he's fighting to, you know, for ending the occupation. He's trying to fight for uh, freedom in different ways. Um, and it's, you know, it's a it's very hard for people in the trenches in all kinds of ways. And, and um, so it has not been easy. I, I wish I could say that it was a, you know, mm -hmm. it was a straight shot to success. It was not. You know, uh, the other thing I would say is part of me was almost afraid to ask, but I, but. Uh, <laughs> As a Jew, you can never be afraid to ask. We have to, we have to ask our questions. <laughs> you, know, really you know, and I would say, so in Counterpoint, I'm, I'm very proud of the film, and I would say that it is a film that probably wouldn't get made today. Like, it's a, in that, um, I think the circumstances have changed a lot, but mm -hmm. also I think the media landscape has changed a lot. And so the, the you know, when, when we were making the film, uh, this was pre-social media, this was pre-Al Jazeera English, this was pre- um, a lot of people going and seeing for themselves what was going on. You didn't have the opportunity to make a viral video or have one scene get out there or something like that? No, but, but also I would say that, that Palestinian voices were always um, mediated. They weren't direct, so people couldn't access them easily directly. There wasn't a lot right. of internet connectivity. Whereas today that's changed, right? And so people can speak for themselves, um, create their own films, their own media, and that's I think that's a great thing. I think that's very welcome. That was not the case when Counterpoint came out. So if I were to direct a film today, it would be a different film. I don't know that I would actually even direct it. Today. I was thinking, I mean, it seems yeah. strange some like Canadian comes right, in right. and does this thing for us. Yes. Although if you're going to have a neutral arbiter, right. a well, Canadian. Well, you know, with, with, you know, <laughs> and a, a French Canadian, no less. But, um, Did you grow up no, speaking French by uh, any chance? Uh, so my mom is Anglophone, so Engl English in our home. Certainly uh, French. Was that difficult in Montreal? Uh, to be English speaking? Definitely a minority. Um, so, I didn't feel the difficulty. Certain parts of Montreal, they, they don't speak English. Uh, Montreal is pretty good, but the rest of course. I actually haven't. I haven't much. been in a long time. Yeah, no, Montreal is okay, but I did. <laughs> leave, so I left in '95 when the we had our almost Brexit in '95. Quexit. Our Quexit. Uh, and My mother's a Canadian studies professor, right? so I'm I mean, I'm all up on this stuff. It's awesome, and so and <laughs> the premiere of Quebec did something that's not dissimilar to what we're hearing now among American politicians. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He blamed money and the ethnics, and then specifically the Italians, the Greeks, and the Jews for the failure of the referendum. And at that point, I, I just said, I don't, I don't feel so welcome here. Um, and so I think, I think in, in many ways, Quebec helped shape my commitment to human rights because, I mean, it's, it's not fatal, it's not lethal, it's not what Palestinians go through by any stretch. So we can, so since you left Canada over that, we can assume you'll be leaving America soon. Well, so ironically, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just renewing my now expired Canadian passport. So that's, that's, a, that's an irony. Uh, uh, congratulations. Uh, have you not been back to Canada since '95? Oh, no, no, my mom, my mom lives there. Oh, okay, so yes. I, no, I'm back, but not in the winter. So, uh, <laughs> yes, so don't nice, go. A nice thing about I have been to Montreal in January. Yeah, no, it's bad. I don't have to go home for Christmas, and that's actually a really great. Thing, so <laughs> yeah. Although it is be it's beautiful in the winter. Yes. But so cold. A different kind of cold. This week in DC, people are complaining they're cold. You don't know what you're talking about. That's true. Um, that's awesome. Um, so what is it that you're, what are you doing now? You don't run Just Vision anymore. No, so actually my work at Just Vision inspired an idea. It was, it was um, spending time in a community in Palestine, surrounded by the wall of Wallachia, that led me to start thinking about communities that have connectivity, but not necessarily mobility. Um, and the kinds of, what, what job opportunities are available um, in a situation where um, suddenly you've got connectivity all over the world would theoretically be working remotely um, on great jobs if they know how to find them and how to get them. So that's a long-winded mm -hmm. way of saying um, that after... I've heard <laughs> longer-winded. <laughs> <After laughs> <a couple laughs> very kind. 
after about two years of research, um, I ended up launching a company. So this is a, a for-profit enterprise that connects um, college students and colleges in emerging economies to global professionals who share language, roots, and culture. So our tagline is guidance from people who get it. And the company is localized. You can find it on localized.world. And we actually started in Arabic and English, so we launched in Jordan um, uh, with several universities as a pilot. And essentially we're harnessing both diaspora um, expertise and guidance, but also in-country expertise and guidance. So that the experts can be anywhere. They can be in Amman or in Dubai or Singapore or Toronto, it doesn't matter. But the students are in schools that don't have career services or alumni services, or maybe they have them, but they're not very robust. Um, and the students are looking for um, guidance from people who are in the jobs of the future, in the fields of the future, so that they can ask questions and, and learn about their options. Mm -hmm. And you said that that was, uh, so this is uh, in some ways a continuation of the work you were yeah, doing I before? Think, I mean, I think for me, leveling the playing field is the through line and connecting dots across um, unlikely constituencies. I'd say mm -hmm. those are the two commonalities. Uh, so the, the film also inspired me to try something. You mentioned it earlier, and I'm not sure if I ever actually have talked about it on previous episodes. Uh, so I applied for uh, what's called a, a fellowship from the program uh, Present Tense, which was sponsored by the Jewish Federation here in D.C. and called Connect Gen. So I was a Connect Gens fellow. And actually, they actually reached out to me because they, they said all of everybody who applies, it's all to start a new thing. It's all entrepreneurial brand new ventures. And the program actually is, is uh, for, for both kinds of folks. We also want entrepreneurs, but none of them are applying. If you could help us find, we know you know lots of nonprofits. If you know anyone that wants to do like a new thing inside an already existing thing. And I said, well, I've, I have this idea. I was working at Atlas Core, uh, which places fellows from all over the world. We've placed fellows from, I think they've now placed fellows from over 80 different countries. Uh, and at the time, I looked up the list uh, and to try to see where we had and hadn't uh, placed fellows from, and I saw that we had, ne uh, we had never placed a fellow from Israel, which in fact they still have not, uh, and also never from Palestine, or also never from Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Sudan, Egypt. I oh, know they had placed a few fellows from Egypt, um, uh, the, the, but that's mostly because our founder had a really good relationship with the embassy in Egypt, uh, and so. Uh, and in general, I learned like you know we you know we tend to place more fellows from the countries where we have a stronger network, uh, so we can get the voice out there and recruit more. And so I started thinking about that, and then I started thinking, well, wouldn't it be neat if fellows from West Bank or Gaza came here and they served at Jewish organizations, or if, uh, or vice versa, if they came from Jewish organizations uh, and served at uh, you know some of the Arab-serving or Muslim-serving organizations that run here in the U.S. Or maybe we find a fellow from Israel and a fellow from Palestine, and they serve together at some sort of secular American organization uh, helping some other folks. It seemed like a very good idea. I think I underestimated how difficult it was going to be. I remember in, my, in one of my interviews for ConnectGens, one guy hated it. And he said, Jews are never going to fund you placing Palestinians anyway. Um, he said very boldly to me. And I remember, uh, I remember thinking, like, if I do anything, I want to prove him wrong which is basically the only success we ever had. So I did find a Jewish funder to place our first Palestinian fellow. Uh, they've now placed, uh, they had not placed any before I started. I think they've placed five now, which means there are five uh, young men and women uh, working in the social sector there who were able to come here, build American networks, hopefully are more powerful uh, social actors now. 
And also, so that happened. Were they in just regular organizations? So not the not the exchange of the sort of some of them. Ex- I don't remember exactly where they okay. served, but no, none of them served in Jewish organizations. Right. And in fact, right. one of the things I learned is that's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I was gonna, I was waiting to find out that. I mean, in this climate, there were a few um, people who tried to like soft me to softly tell me that yeah, in the yeah, beginning, I and then eventually, that. like yeah. someone had to be like, yeah. no, it's they're not going to do it. You don't right. understand. Right. So, <laughs> so let me unpack that for a second because I think it's important. Um, so there is a, you know, if you have a situation that's very asymmetric, there, unfortunately, I think the way that um, the world has looked at Palestine and Palestinians has often been in relation to Jews and Israelis and not on their own terms. Yes. And so it's often been that opportunity was contingent on cooperation. Yes. And, but you that, can go to the summer camp, but you have to like Jews. Right, you have, right. And that's a, that's a <laughs> fundamentally unfair... Um, and, and, yes, it and, is. And so there's a lot of good intention, right? A lot of people who mean very well. But um, but these are, you know, people who, who there's a deep historic enmity. Um, there's an occupation that's ongoing. There's deep asymmetry. And Palestinians don't, you know, they're, they're, the landscape of human rights is so um, compromised because of what's going on that to then take somebody out of their environment throw them into a situation where it's as though they're on equal footing and then and then for them to have to go back home is really hard. And so there was a mm-hmm. an understandable backlash internally that said, you know what, we're not gonna do what's called normalization. We're not gonna yes. normalize something that is fundamentally that word was explained to uneven, me. yeah, and, and asymmetric and unfair and, and but you know and, and people are very clear it's not it's not anti Semitic, it's not it's a, it's about the, the political asymmetries and the circumstances of mm-hmm. inequality. And so I'm glad that they didn't end up getting placed, like, you know, not, not because said I federation, yes. Yeah, yeah, not because I don't <laughs> think that, you know, what is possible, it is, but not in the, um, not under the, the asymmetric terms that currently mm-hmm. exist. So, but I'm glad that, that they got placed in, in you know. We were able to place, we, you know, it, it increased our recruiting network in there. The other right. thing I found out is it's very, it is not difficult for Israelis to come here and have those kind of opportunities. Correct. Correct. So they don't apply they to don't a program need, like that. Yeah, they don't need uh, and, you know, it's a learning experience for me. I tried something that didn't work. I think everybody's probably going to have to fail a few times before they come up with something that works. You know what I like? <laughs> you know, I want to I give you credit here because oh, thank you're you. a learner and you're curious. And so, um, and, and that's really important. And so many of us, we get, we get um, fossilized in our viewpoints or we, we stop. And, and what I like is that you, you know, you'll try something and some ideas are stronger than others and some attempts are better than others, but you... But you're humble about the fact that you're going to learn, and, and, um, and I think it's great. Every day is a school day. Yeah, it's awesome. That's I think, awesome. so my parents were teachers, and I think that's a big part of it. I, yeah. I very much, uh, if they taught me anything, they taught me how to learn and how you have to keep doing that. I'm actually surprised. I think there's a lot of people in the world who think that you, like, you go to school, and by the time you're finished with school, that's when you're done learning, and now you know everything, and you just go out into the world. Right. But it's not it's not like that at all. Uh, we are, it looks like uh, Nexus is coming to a close. Uh, I just, uh, one more thing I'd like to talk to you about. Yeah. Uh, so we are, uh, now, uh, the Unfunded List is now a MacArthur Foundation-funded program. Congrats. I was speaking to them in a, for a while, and we finally got that grant. We spoke to Jeff earlier, uh, and we're very excited about the possibilities there. Uh, uh, during the 100 and Change program, I was looking over the review list, and I noticed that you are a reviewer yes. for 100 and Change. Uh, and a pretty cool program, kind of up your alley, one, the Sesame Street program, uh, uh, to, as I understand, is to develop spe- a specific uh, Sesame Street for Syrian children, right, with Syrian characters. And just to be clear, I was an early judge, so I did not review the final 
things. So I okay. was looking at, I was helping, I was a judge in the first round of the stages. How did yeah. you come to be reviewing proposals for MacArthur? I, I think it's my question. I don't know how they found me. I really don't know. <laughs> they reached out to you? They reached really? out to me. Yeah, I have no, I, to this day, I have no idea. Hmm. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll find out for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have a they have a lot of talented people there. They have funds, right? They did their research. You're out there, right? You were in the slingshot guy. That's probably where they found you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and you had made films that were in media and stuff, and they, they're, you know, they're on the pulse. But that's, so they just they reached out to you one day, said, do you want to review yeah, some proposals for us? Yeah. And you said, just how did you enjoy the experience? I did. You know, I did. I think that there, Jeff and I were just talking about ways that, you know, if you, you know I had some reflections about how if they do it again, Mm -hmm. um, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed looking at the proposals. You know, I, I there was a lot. There were a lot of amazing ideas that, that came in. Some some not so amazing, you know, mm -hmm. but but enough yep. that I, I was very excited by the possibilities. And you know, I, I, there were some things that I was um, deeply moved um, by the imaginative possibilities in, in issues like renewable energy and in um, mental health related stuff. So. Um, I hope they keep going because mm -hmm. you know, there, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of uh, institutions out there doing some amazing work. That, that and I, I would say that they are also learners. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that he was interested to hear your thoughts on how to improve it. Yeah. There are funders out there that don't care about your thoughts on how to improve their funding. Yeah. Uh, and I tend to prefer the ones that, that do care. Absolutely. And actually, I, if they do it again, I hope that uh, you know we get a chance to work with them. I think we could be giving feedback to a lot of these folks, right? I have, I've seen the list of uh, like 200 or so programs that got to the end. I mean, they're all fantastic. Yes. And uh, you know, there's not enough piles of 100 million dollars lying around for all of them. Uh, but I do think, right, that there might be more. I mean, it's, and, and MacArthur's trying, right? They're, they're telling people about it. They're releasing the podcast yep. interviews that they uh, that they did and stuff and trying to find some help for them. And I'm sure some of them are getting some funding. MacArthur has more than a hundred million dollars. Yes. <laughs> um, but the, uh, uh, I really like that. I think it's a movement forward in uh, philanthropy. Uh, I want to thank you for stopping by. Yep. Thanks for coming to Nexus. Always a pleasure yep. to see you. Pleasure to see you too. Thanks very much.